your grace, the dream God has put in your heart, the man or the woman that he envisioned when he knit you together in your mother's womb. Grace isn't a building. It's not a service we attend. It's not an organization or a church. Grace is the movement of God. Beyond simply the fact we call our church grace, we are people of grace, God's gift to this world. And you, through Jesus Christ and his active, ever-present Holy Spirit, you are a gift to this world. Can you receive that? I mean, can you receive that? And we wanted to tell stories, not of the things that any of our staff were doing or that the pastors were doing. We wanted to celebrate the stories. And what's amazing, one of my, the great privileges I had uh, of being a part of this video, and, and I, anyway, they, they way overstated the role that, that we played. The, uh, the privilege I had in watching this video is there were multiple stories that we didn't have time to tell. Like, we were trying to keep this video to under 15 minutes, and, uh, and, and we have footage from multiple people that, uh, that shared their story that, that is just to share. This is what God's awakening in me. This is what God is doing in me. This is what he's leading me into. And the beautiful thing is recognizing every one of those stories is still unfinished. Every one of us is a work in progress. Sometimes we think I got to get to a certain point and then God can use my life to do something. But maybe it's that as God is working himself out in me, that's when he's actually doing something. It's when I'm still unfinished, but willing to say yes to the next thing. And that's all of us, every one of us. Allowing Jesus to come alongside us and wake us up. And so for our remaining time, we do want to do what we do here at Grace, which is uh, worship God and then open his word. And we're coming to the last story in our Meals with Jesus series. And it's a story of, of, of two disciples that encountered Jesus on the road in a way that changed their life. And I think it's uh, incredibly applicable to this Pentecost Sunday. So if you have a Bible, go on and open up to Luke chapter 24. If you need a Bible, just slip up a hand. We got some people walking around. They'll put a Bible in your hand so that you can follow along with us. Oh, I love that line from the, the movie that most of us are living as zombies by day, but insomniacs at night. You want to resonate with that? And that it's the gospel that we need God to wake us up and give us true rest. And so what we'll find here is a story of God doing that with two friends. I'm going to start here in verse 13 in Luke chapter 24. I'm going to just read the story and then we'll come back and we'll kind of dive in. This is one of my absolute favorites. All right. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Remember, this is right after the resurrection, after the cross. Uh, and three days later, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Now he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. 
One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there these days? What things? Jesus asked. Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. And they came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our friends went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they, they didn't see. And I said to them, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And so beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Now, while he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? And they opened the scriptures to us. So they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together saying, it is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. A great story, the stranger on the road to Emmaus, this post-resurrection appearance of Jesus coming alongside of these two disciples, these two friends walking away from Jerusalem. Now you can imagine the scene. I mean, so it's these two, two friends. We don't know who they are. Except one of them is Clopas. We don't know the, the name of the second one. And they're walking along and they're talking amongst themselves. And there are times in life, especially in times of grief or confusion or anxiety, or when, when it feels like our lives have been turned upside down, that we need a friend alongside of us. Amen. Like we need somebody to talk to. It was necessary, but not sufficient because they didn't just need each other. They needed Jesus. I mean, we, we don't know what they were feeling. I mean, we have a hint by some of their reactions that they were obviously grieving. There's probably some fear, some anxiety that was getting stirred up, some doubt. In fact, if you look just back a couple verses to verse uh, 11, it says that, uh, that you know, after the, the women had encountered the angel at the tomb, that the disciples, it says specifically, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. 
And then it's just a couple verses later that it's like, and then two of them were walking down the road. So these are two that just hours before had had this crazy interaction with these ladies that had had this some kind of experience at the tomb where they expected to find Jesus' dead body. So, so now there's this grief and, and this fear and this anxiety and, and this concern and this confusion, but maybe a little bit of hope. Like just, I mean, could they let themselves begin to hope? And so they're processing together. But sometimes we need more than just to talk to each other because our perspective could be pretty limited. I had this experience uh, actually just this, this past week and just simply sharing it to, maybe you can identify with this, but uh, recognize, I realized that we have a couple of really close friends and, and a lot of times as we're hanging out, inevitably our conversation will go to our kids and we'll start talking with our kids and, uh, and about different parenting styles or different ways of schooling or different decision making or what do you do about technology or whatever. And, and just realize that there are times that in that conversation that I'll, I'll start to feel defensive or angsty and, and realize that sometimes the, the, the conversation, you know, we're close friends, but it can get a little bit combative. And it happened the other night while we were, we were playing cards and I went home and I was like, why, why did that conversation derail? And then I realized, the truth telling, that it's because I'm scared. Like at the end of the day, I'm actually scared that somehow I'm messing my kids up. Anybody else identify with that feeling? that I didn't, we didn't make the right decision 11 years ago when we moved to Monroe. We didn't make the right decisions about what schools to, to go to or the, how to parent or when to buy them a cell phone or, you know, that didn't have enough conversations, like all of that. And that this conversation is stirring that up. And, and instead of being honest about my fear, I just combat with, you know, defensiveness or posturing or having the right answers. And so I just had to come back to him and say, I'm sorry. Like, I'm really sorry. This is what's going on in me. I wish my reaction, this is hilarious as a pastor to admit this, but it was in that moment when I'm feeling this way that I would just, we would just stop and pray for our kids. Like, duh, right? I mean, like, brilliant. Years of seminary and Bible study, and I've reached the point that I realized maybe I should just pause and pray for my kids sometimes. But it was a huge revelation for me. And then I'm reading Stranger on the Road to Emmaus and realizing the exact same thing is happening to these guys. I'm sure they're, they're processing and wrestling and arguing and trying to figure this out. It doesn't make sense. And, and Jesus comes alongside of them and they don't even recognize that Jesus is right there with them in all of their angst. The one they actually need. Their eyes can't see through their own fear and confusion. But I love that Jesus interrupts them. And sometimes in our lives, we need Jesus to interrupt us. Amen? And often interruption feels like disruption. But ultimately, it's what we need. It says that Jesus asked them, what are you talking about? And they stopped. 
faces downcast. We use a word around here a lot called kairos. It's those, those mo- the divine supernatural moments when, when it's almost like time stops and all of a sudden it's like God is trying to break into our world. We have these kairos moments of revelation or when, when, when our life gets paused, it seems like. And they have this kairos moment there with Jesus on the road and they stop and they pause And they begin to explain. I mean, they're giving Jesus their best attempt at their understanding. It's actually kind of a funny story if you think about them telling Jesus about Jesus. And they started, like, well, he was a prophet, which technically is actually a downgrade because he was way more than a prophet, wasn't he? But they're doing their best. He was a prophet and he did amazing things, but then he was killed and we we had hoped. And circling your Bible, that word had, we had hoped uh, that it was a hope that he was going to be more than this. And in fact, what is their hope? That he was going to redeem, restore, heal, bring back together Israel. See, the problem was, wasn't just simply that their hope had been crushed. Their real problem is that their hope was too low. And I think sometimes God has to crush our dreams in order to give us bigger right dreams. Because they thought that Jesus, who had been killed, was a prophet that was going to do something for Israel. But, but actually, if you want to look just over another few verses... 2447. In fact, if you have a pen, you can just take, draw a line from their explanation to Jesus' explanation. An arrow. This is what is written, according to Jesus the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Why? Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to who? Israel? That's right there all nations. This isn't about Israel. Yeah, it'll start in Jerusalem, but this is about what God wants to do for the entire world. This was what Pentecost was all about. It wasn't just God for a certain group of people in a special place, in a special way, but God for all people at all times. We sit here now as part of the Grace family. We sit here now in this church here in Monroe because the Spirit of God was poured out for all nations. Amen? That's what we're a part of. Their hope had to be crushed because their hope was too small. And I wonder if there's times in your life that it feels like a dream has been crushed or something that you had hoped for. We really wanted this to, to, to start this business or, or we really wanted to, to have this kind of life. And God was like, no, I need to actually like crumble that up and throw it away so I can give you a right dream that is even bigger and better. Because you're only seeing this much. And it says, Jesus listens. I love that. Jesus listens to their explanation. And Jesus is willing to listen to us. But at some point, we need to stop talking and let God speak. How much of our prayers is us telling God what we think he needs to know? And how much of our prayer is us 
pausing long enough for God to tell us what we need to know. And it says he rebukes them. It doesn't use that word, but it actually says, he begins, how foolish you are. Sounds like a rebuke to me. God's word isn't always easy, but it's always good. And it always brings life and moves us towards healing and freedom and wholeness. That's exactly where Jesus is taking them. But first, he's got to recognize what you're thinking. It's too small. And, and your heart is, is, is too hard to receive this. And then he begins to teach. And it says, that beginning with Moses and the prophets, going all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, that all of the scriptures were pointing to Jesus. I mean, this is the foundational vision of Luke that will transform the rest of church history is what happens in this conversation. Because from this point forward, what they're going to start doing is they're going to start looking back and going, oh, that's what that was about. That's what that was for. Sacrifices and Passover and celebrations and prophets and, and exile and the Psalms, the wrath poured out, the love revealed, all of it was pointing to Jesus. That's the power of our faith. All of history, all the prophets, all the scriptures were ultimately intertwined and revealed in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's also why we need to be people of the book. We need to know this book backwards and forwards, not just a few stories and, and, and some stories that we may mix up, but that we actually know the flow of the story. We know our family history. By the way, a great reference, if you, if you haven't read it, all the, all the guys that I disciple, this is part of what we, we read together. It's, called the, it's actually called The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus. Write that down. The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus by a guy named John Cross. Great name, by the way. If you're born and your name is John Cross, you better do something significant with your life. But so he wrote this book. It's, it's uh, actually comes from New Tribes Missions. It is uh, when they go into an unreached people group that have zero biblical knowledge. Uh, they begin from the beginning and they make their way all the way through the scriptures until they get to Jesus. They don't actually mention Jesus until they've gone through all of the Old Testament. That way, when they get to Jesus, it's not just some magical pie in the sky figure that's come down to make your life better, but it's actually the king of the universe who set the creation into motion. And that when the king gets revealed, what do we do when the king gets revealed? We surrender and we follow. It's a different perspective than the rabbit foot Jesus that some of us have stuck in our back pocket. And so I recommend it, write it down. Stranger on the Road to Emmaus, it's a great read, a great book. And it begins with Genesis and moves towards Jesus. And at some point they begin walking again. We don't know when, but I love that, that Jesus continues to walk with them even in their lack of understanding. 
And at some point, Jesus stops again. They get to the town where they're headed. And it says that Jesus acted as if he were going farther. Why? Seems like a random detail to include. Because Jesus waits for an invitation. In Revelation 3, there's a beautiful picture of Jesus standing at the door knocking. And it says that whoever opens the door, he'll come in, sit down, and have dinner with them. And sure enough, Jesus pauses long enough to give them a chance to respond. So the question comes down to us. Have we invited Jesus in? Jesus who stands knocking at the door. Have you created space in your heart, in your life? Have you invited Jesus to your table? The one who has walked alongside of you your entire life, even when you couldn't see him. The one who stands with you in your grief and your fear, who's patient with you in your confusion and your doubt. Have you invited Jesus in? The Bible's clear that all who receive him, to all who believe in his name and who he is, that he gives the right to become children of God, sons and daughters of our God in heaven. The forgiveness of sins. Jesus extended at the cross. It happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus saw your entire life and he died on the cross. His blood was shed that you would be cleansed of anything that would separate you from the love of God. That happened 2,000 years ago. You don't have to wait for it. You don't have to earn it. It's done. The question is, will you receive it? Will you receive what God has done for you in Jesus? Will you invite him in to your life, to your heart? Will you make room for him at your table? And they do. They invite him in. And Jesus does something that he's actually done multiple times already in the book of Luke. It is the exact same words that are used when Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's the exact same words that Jesus used, or that's used when uh, Jesus is at the Last Supper. It says that he took bread and he broke it. He gave thanks for it and he broke it and he gave it to them. That all of it comes down to the presence of Christ with us. That extension of fellowship that is, that is centered in his presence. As Jesus is saying, in that moment, it is all about my body, my living presence with you, in you, and for you. And in that moment, at the table, with the teaching of scriptures and the breaking of bread, it says that their eyes were opened. And that is our prayer. 
That is what we beg God for, not just for us in this room, but for this community. That by the teaching of scripture, and the breaking of bread, the fellowship of community and faith, ultimately expressed in that communion act, that eyes would be opened, hearts would be opened to the reality of Jesus with us. And what happens next? The exact same thing that happens at Pentecost. They encounter Jesus, and what do they do? Have a worship night there in their home? Nope. Not that's bad. But worship always in the Bible, worship always leads to what? Mission. Worship always leads to mission. If we sit and worship and don't go anywhere, we're not actually worshiping God, we're worshiping ourselves. Worship moves us to mission. And in that moment, they encounter Jesus, their eyes are revealed. I love the phrase they said. Goodness gracious, I love this phrase. Were our hearts not burning within us as he taught us, as he walked with us on the road and taught us from the scriptures? May we be a people whose hearts burn. And there are some of you in this room that for the first time, God is inviting you to invite him. God is making space to invite him into your life for the first time, to receive the forgiveness of God and the presence of his spirit. But for many of us, God is inviting you to experience him in a fresh way, to wake up, that your heart would burn again by his word and his presence. And may we go, <laughs> may we go and tell others the things that we have seen and the things that we have heard. So we started with this video, God Awakening Dreams. And we come to this story. So just to make it applicable and personable, how is Jesus walking alongside you right now? I mean, he is. The question I, if Jesus is, he is, but the question is how? How is he walking alongside of you in life right now? And where are the places that maybe you're missing him that you don't see him? And in those moments of Jesus walking alongside of you and whatever you're walking through, in places of grief or struggle, places of, of anxiety or insecurity, in places of confusion or doubt, as well as times of celebration and joy, when we're beginning to hope and to dream, as Jesus walks alongside of us, just the invitation is just to be honest, wherever you are. Truth telling, just to be, to be honest, like, Jesus, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm experiencing. This is where I am. There's a friend of mine was sharing uh, from a mentor uh, this practice that has been super transformative for him. Uh, but it's uh, beginning to, beginning your morning. The first thing every morning is sitting down and letting God ask you the first question that God asks in the Bible. Do you know what the first question God asks in the Bible? Adam, where are you? 
What if you started each morning and just let God ask you that question? Where are you? Where are you this morning? Where's your heart? What's going on in here? Where's your mind? What are you chasing up here? Where are you? But don't just stop there. Yes, we need to be honest with God, but just like that encounter on the road to Emmaus, take the time to pause and to listen. God, what do you want me to know? What are you saying into my life right now? What are you speaking? And then keep walking with Jesus. Keep inviting him into deeper and deeper places and receive what he has for you. And then just take the next step. All the stories that we've shared weren't massive decisions that got acted out within 48 hours. All the stories that, and even the stories that we didn't get to share uh, in, in the video were people that were just faithful and taking one step at a time with God. And when they hit struggle, when they hit discouragement or disappointment, they paused long enough to be honest with Jesus, to listen to what he had to say, and then they kept moving forward one step at a time. What is the next step forward for you? What is the dream God is wanting to awaken? How is he coming alongside of you with whatever, wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with right now? So it's a beautiful story. It's not just a story that happened. It's a story that continues to happen. And each and every one of us if we're willing to stop to listen and let God open up our eyes and may our hearts burn so I'm going to pray for us we'll continue in worship together on this Pentecost Sunday as we begin to move toward the close of our worship together this morning. So I invite you just to close your eyes and just take a deep breath. And let that breath even just be a reminder of the presence of God by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, alive and at work in you. in your own way just to pray and be honest with God where you are and if you're willing to invite him to come in to open your heart to Jesus who longs to forgive you and to set you free And when you're ready, around the room, we have set up communion. That powerful symbolic reminder 
was Jesus who took that bread at the Last Supper and broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. And every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So even as you take communion, by the taking of that bread may be an act of faith, an act of receiving the presence of God through Jesus Christ. And then Jesus took that cup and he said, this cup is my blood. The blood of a new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. And every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So as you take that bread and dip it in that cup, may it be act of receiving the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. The reminder of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me, for each of us that binds us together as a community. So we have bread and the wine set up in the four corners of the room. If you'd prefer, we also have the little communion cups with grape juice and the wafer. uh, And that is also set up in the corners. And so we'll move now into a time of confession, of prayer. I'll invite our prayer team to come forward. If you want to come pray at the prayer benches uh, here in the front or along the edges, if you want to come take communion when you're ready, let's worship God together.